All right, guys, welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Um, yeah, I'm coming off of doing a couple live Locked Reported shows, um, two of the last three nights, three nights ago, or damn, two nights ago we did Boston, which is my hometown, and last night we did New York. Uh, it was very cool. It was really cool to, um, I don't know, to meet some listeners and to do what we do usually just by our computers live. It's obviously a very different atmosphere. Um, I don't think I accounted for how tiring it would be and what it does to your voice. I hopefully don't sound uh, too worn down. But um, yeah, it's interesting the sort of like problem of trying to translate a 45-ish minute podcast to an hour and a half live show. Um, yeah, I think we leaned on like we use uh, slides, which help, and like visual aids. But I don't know. It was just a really cool, interesting experience and a cool problem to solve. Um, and yeah, uh, most of what I'm going to do today is just take folks' questions and comments about whatever. I want to talk a little bit. I know I've been talking about it too much lately, but there was like a uh, another really bad article distorting all the youth gender stuff, this time in the Bulwark, which is like a center-right publication, but it just sort of recited all the same talking points. Let me at least get the headline so people can know what to be mad at. The Bulwark. Which I still think is a good name. Bulwark. Hmm. Where was it? Oh, yeah. So this is about... I mean, it's actually... This is a point that I, I wish more people would understand. Um, the article is by Alberto Cairo, uh, who I think has a trans kid. Um, he talks about his own experiences. Um, he's also the night chair in visual journalism at the University of Miami. So DeSantis is talking about going after parents who socially transition their kids, which I view as really disturbing, and I view that as in line with like what Greg Abbott and Ken Paxton tried to do. Um, I think the idea of weaponizing child services because you disagree there's strong evidence for youth gender transition, physical or social, is horrible and um, interesting, I was just like at a gathering with a lot of conservatives who are very skeptical of youth gender transition. And these are like think tank conservatives. They're not like the people on the ground in states making laws, but they, they really don't like these laws either. They just think it's not a good, it's obviously not a good idea to try to remove children from their parents' homes. And I think this stuff gets significantly more ghoulish when you're talking about, <clears throat> Removing them on suspicion, they're allowing their child to socially transition, which will obviously have people calling the cops if, like, their neighbor lets a boy wear a dress. And obviously that's really, really bad. So I think what happens, what happened in the Bulwark, what happens in a lot of places, is people look at these laws or the laws uh, attempting to criminalize it on the doctor's side, you know, criminalize doctors from giving kids blockers or hormones, and just sort of run to the opposite pole. They say... No, these treatments are great. There's so much evidence for them. And what makes it sort of a complicated story to grok or to cover is that it's both true that the laws are a bad idea. I just don't think you can have a situation where a doctor is not allowed to do the medical protocol that his professional organizations say is right. Now, maybe the, the protocols are wrong. They've been wrong. I think they are wrong here sometimes. You can't arrest him for following his own the you know, professional guidance. That's just, it's not good. It also has a situation where two people who live five miles apart could have totally different laws on the books about what kind of medical care they could get. So those laws are bad. The, the laws 
banning social transition are even worse and just like crazy. And I just think there's this, this pendulum swing thing where it's like, oh, those laws are bad. Therefore, the exact opposite position must be true. It must be true that we know a lot about these treatments, that these treatments you know, are saving countless kids from suicide, and that there's no real medical questions about them. Uh, none of that is true. And, and I wish people would embrace the nuance that is required here. Not nuance for nuance's sake, but nuance because this particular issue is nuanced. And uh, the National Health Service of the UK is about to take a pretty hard turn against these treatments. Um, that it's not, they'll, they'll be totally unavailable, but they'll be more gate kept. Uh, and I think there's a strong case for that in light of the serious evidentiary issues here. I'm repeating myself a little bit, but until you really dive deep into these studies and see how little there is there. And, um, I think my next step in understanding this stuff is to better understand areas of medicine where we do have good evidence, what sort of grade A evidence looks like. Uh, there's none of that here. There's just not. And it's just, it disturbs me that, I've said this before, just kids being political footballs, uh, being kicked around by both sides, frankly. Um, I'm not, I don't like the thing where you have to say, like, which side is worse and for which reasons. I think a lot of the most hyper-partisan stuff on this subject is bad. And I'm not, like... Overall, I, I'm more on the side that the treatment should be available to some kids, but that that's, some kids is a load-bearing phrase. Like, there's a lot there. Anyway, Nicole, what is up? Nicole. Yes. Hi. Hey. Sorry, I this is my first time using this app. I had to give Apple some permissions. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I came to your show on Monday. It was amazing. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, in the picture you took of Katie that you put on Twitter, um, I'm in the background laughing really hard, and my friend is next to me covering his head because he doesn't want to be ostracized. Um, oh, <laughs> that's funny. But my question, though, because um, I'm curious, because I've been following this, too. I work in Medicaid in Massachusetts. Um, I agree with your criticism of the Bulwark article. I'm also incredibly skeptical of the um, Florida Department of Health's guidelines around youth around youth transition yeah. um and i'm curious i mean do you have do you have like any favorite states in terms of like what you find to be like good evidence-based models yeah um I, I don't get the sense so at the aforementioned gathering of some cons i don't know if it was mostly conservatives there's a fair number of conservatives including some who are involved in the florida efforts and my sense is they're taking a different approach in Florida. Um, in certain ways, they're really trying to go through like state regulations and they're really trying to force the issue of evidence. And my sense is that a lot of these laws are losing strategies politically when people will see the outcomes. I could be wrong about that. Uh, and maybe there's like a loose analogy here to like strict abortion laws where you think you want something until you have it. I think for advocates of youth gender medicine, the Florida stuff poses a real threat because it's going to come down to like people sitting and looking through the evidence and seeing how little there is there. And I'm just not sure like the, the endless subsequent court cases are going to go the way advocates for these treatments want. So I'm not actually not aware of other states that have done what Florida did. And I need to sort of catch up on what's going on at the state level. But I think some trans activists might be understating the potential threat here in folks really weaponizing 
sort of that evidence gathering process and that question of which treatments are evidence based because by the normal standards of what we view as evidence based these treatments are not ev evidence based like it just doesn't meet those thresholds in most cases i don't think no, yeah, okay, I know I agree. Um, no, thank you. Yeah, and I feel bad. I just, on, on terms of other states, I just, are, have you come across other states that you think are engaged in similar efforts to look into that, or are you just asking me because you weren't sure? I mean, I guess I was curious. I think Massachusetts, um, I'm not sure how, how, I mean, you grew up in Newton, so hopefully somewhat familiar. Um, they have probably some of the most progressive laws um, and guidelines, especially in the Medicaid space around um, the trans healthcare and youth gender transition. And I yep. guess I'm trying to get a sense of like what a good model like for state policy would be for this because it's not, I mean, it's not Florida in my no. opinion, but it also might not, it's probably not Massachusetts too. My um, sense is from, from like when I, again, and I need to get better at understanding this stuff, A, when I read laws and B, when I read like the sorts of briefs filed by like the ACLU and its allies, um, these documents do not like reflect the actual science here. And in fact, it's like sometimes shocking the extent to which they'll make a claim. And then you follow the citation. It doesn't support the claim. So I guess I, I would just be surprised if there's any state actually doing this well at the moment, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. I'll hang up so other people can ask theirs. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for coming to the show. Uh, KW and the queue's empty after that. If anyone else wants to jump in. Hey, Jesse, how are you? Good, how are you? Great. Uh, glad you had a good time in Boston the other night because uh, I had a great time too, albeit watching my beloved Chicago Bears destroy your Patriots. <laughs> yeah, man, that was going on during the first half of our show. It's because I wasn't there to watch the first half. That's the only reason that happened. That could be it, or perhaps our coaches finally realized, hey, we need to treat Justin Fields, the way the Baltimore Ravens uh, have treated Lamar Jackson and designed some more runs for him. Look, I, I know this is not a sports podcast. I don't want to alienate the listeners. I just <laughs> thought I'd point that out first. It is. Um, I mean, it's an easy thing to say as someone who is not an NFL coach, but there's definitely examples where it's like, you're just like, why are they not using that guy's skills the way they should? Why are they not scheming around him? So I don't, I'm not familiar egos. with the Chicago situation. Yeah, Ego's right. Their system, they think their system works the best. So uh, back to the, to the topics at hand, I will say that I, whatever's going on with trans stuff, and I, I still really don't know what the correct answers are. This, you know, I've noticed it's just a common pattern in general where a new issue pops up. The right goes absolutely batshit insane. And then the left decides to run screaming in the other direction, uh, almost as batshit insane. And a whole giant area of gray area of nuance is lost. Uh, you see this everywhere from, you know, with movies to the election of Donald Trump to now trans stuff, any sort of issue. It just seems like we're polarized as fuck. I know that's not a new observation, but there you go. Really bad, and and I think with this, what's interesting, I, I was really influenced when I was, um, you know, working on my Atlantic article about this in 2018 by talking to clinicians who were more in the camp of we need to go slow and be really sure this is right for the kid, and that that viewpoint is rapidly going out of style, and in some cases being called bigoted. It already was in 2018, but the difference between that method of like well, this is a seven-year-old. We don't know how they'll feel in a few years. Let's talk to them. Let's get to know them. Let's get to know their thoughts and feelings about gender. Mm -hmm. 
versus this idea that like the moment the kid announces they're trans, if you don't treat them as trans, they will kill themselves. Um, one of those two approaches is much smarter than the other, and the other is like it's to me it's a little bit dangerous to spread the idea that unless you instantly transition kids, they'll kill themselves, and it's not it's not really based on any evidence whatsoever. Well, it reminds me, there's this Substack I read uh, sometimes called The Liberal... Roy Tejera. Uh, perhaps you've heard he of it. He just came up last night when I was with some people. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's or, like, or it might be Tejera, I think. I thought yeah. it was Tejera. But anyway, uh, one of his most well-known articles is called The Fox News Fallacy. And basically how it goes is Fox News says something crazy, and then what uh, the liberals develop this sort of a monkey-like reflex that goes, anything they say, we must run screaming in the other direction, no matter what it is. Yeah. And I... And yeah. You apply that well, and my understanding is, like, some of the, the, the laws being passed or proposed in liberal states, like in California, and there was some, like, state lawmaker in Virginia um, just really go too far in the other direction. I mean, Virginia, I, I don't think it's going to get anywhere, but they are, because um, Youngkin is governor, but they're... They're trying to weaponize child services themselves right. for like unaf- against unaffirming parents. And California is just letting any kid show up there and basically get hormones, no questions act, asked. And it's just, it seems like it's getting increasingly crazy, unfortunately. I mean, do you think this is one of those issues that could turn people toward the right, turn normies toward yeah, the right? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm in terms of culture war issues, I'm more worried. In this sphere, I'm a little bit more worried about like, outlying but real stories from high school sports and prisons and there's been issues with both of those but i think i've had a number of normie parents reach out to me and they have no idea what's going on like they're baffled by how it works in schools um, including school systems where a kid comes out and then it's kept from the parents the kid came out because if the kid says my parents are unsupportive whether or not that's true there's no investigation into it that's just treated as a true fact. And right. then you have a kid leading a double life where they have one name and one sex at home and what, a different one at school. And it's just how anyone thinks that that's a good approach to this is, is baffling to me. That's got to be extremely, incredibly fraught for everybody involved. Yeah. There is something else I wanted to get into. I remembered, I think you just wrote a recent Substack article that this is a shifting gears sure. a little bit here. It was about that new lefty health magazine. It was something about how, oh, Biden doesn't care if your friend dies from COVID or whatever the hell yeah. that was about. Uh, I, I left a comment on there. It don't mean to toot my own horn, but it quickly became the top liked comment. Woohoo! Anyway, it was what I've noticed is just. And this is not a new observation either, but among so many lefty Twitter bubbles, whether they be socialist or woke or some combination of the two, it, it is becoming increasingly obvious to me that they, this crowd has a seething contempt for, well, for lack of a better word, normies. And I don't just mean conservatives. I mean any normal. I think person, they almost, I think they almost hate liberal normie, uh, like center left types more than anyone else. They they direct more anger there than they direct anyone else usually. I have seen that. I mean, certainly at you, certainly at, I mean, just look at the Harper's letter. Yeah, That's, that was a good example. I mean, the 
just screaming outrage directed at everyone who signed that. I was just like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, I think they just see things in a very, like, totalizing binary light where everyone's for them or against them. Either you're, I mean, the, this pest, pesty, how do you, this is a P-E-S-T-E magazine. I don't know how it's pronounced, to be honest. I don't um, know. <laughs> First it I was basically it. saying that because, like, the CDC drop this federal masking mandate that means these people want you to die or want immunocompromised people to die and the this whole thing of if you disagree with people you want them dead or you want people dead has become like a tick in some progressive spaces and uh if you want to actually understand the world and convince people like maybe there's a good argument the cdc should have a masking mandate but you can't make that by saying yes they want you to die they don't care if you die obviously there's other considerations at play here and you should talk about them and evaluate them yeah, boy, do I not want to go through another round of COVID panic uh, this winter if we get a new variant or whatever. That just, God, I've had I'm not looking forward to that. But um, yeah, anyway, thank, and, thank you for the call, yeah. KW. I appreciate it. And congratulations to the Bears. See you right, Saturday. Well, Eli. Thanks. Damn Bears. What's up, Eli? Hello. Um, hey, yeah, you can hear me. Good. And I do ask that every time. I'll try and do that. Um, um, two questions. One is actually about the word themselves, um, which is this new? Because is this so themselves as opposed to themselves? Um, wouldn't you, um, you couldn't you use it in the context of like if one person decides to do this, whatever they themselves think? Yeah, you yeah. Could, there's other you, there's gender neutral singular context where themselves would be appropriate. Yes, but if you use that in other contexts, you know, it's just interesting because it's kind of a, it's kind of different and new. But my um, other question is, uh, I'm confused about. So the, the problem with the lack of evidence about puberty blockers is it the puberty blockers themselves, the pu- the puberty blockers in conjunction with hormones? That's both? a good question. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is people will endlessly say. We've been using puberty blockers forever for precocious puberty. They're fine. First of all, they're not necessarily fine. There was this big thing with Lupron um, causing bad physical effects, like bone issues and so forth. Uh, those were with girls who took them for precocious puberty. Um, the, the advocates for these treatments have made two different arguments. One is that they're just a pause button and they're reversible. You take them, you give a tie, kid more time to figure out. The other, in that case, you wouldn't necessarily expect mental health improvement. You just expect to sort of freeze things where they are or something like that. The other is that puberty blockers themselves alleviate a lot of distress. Um, Advocates have have bounced back and forth between these two claims. It's often not clear which they're claiming because they would have, I think, different sort of clinical ramifications. Um, But there's not... So some of the only evidence we have comes from GIDS, the, the gender clinic in the UK that got shut down for multiple reasons, many stemming from incompetence. They they were late to produce this data that the high court uh, requested of them. When they did, it showed no improvement mental health-wise among kids who went on blockers. Um, other, there's, if you're not, there's just not data really showing there's shockingly little data showing puberty blockers improve mental health. And the studies we have often have these confound issues where you'll have a group of kids who went on blockers and hormones and got psychotherapy for months and then were yeah. better. But that, that means you can't tell what caused them to get better, if anything caused them to get better. And then there's other studies where like, 
big groups of the, the sample just don't get better. I, I, if folks look up an article I wrote um, that has reply all, um, science verses in the subject where I go through all the studies they cite, those are some examples of how yeah. these studies just don't don't really show much for puberty blockers. On top of all this, there's a scandal in Sweden at Karolinska Hospital where I think 13 females um, went on puberty blockers have like horrible side effects, including suicidality. Suicidality itself is associated, I think, with some puberty blockers. Um, so if you're giving kids something, a drug, <clears throat> with the idea that it will prevent them from killing themselves, and that drug has causes suicide in some cases, suicidality in some cases, that is obviously bad. I ended up rambling. Did I more or less answer the question? No, just I actually right. have <laughs> one, two more mini sure. questions because you didn't ramble enough. Um, my uh, The first one is, um, so when you say, in, of course, in the Twitter feuds, the Twitter wars, that puberty blockers, that the claim that they're reversible is overblown, is it about these kinds of side effects? Yes, it's about these side or... effects and the fact that we don't know their long-term effects on brain and bone development. And I think a key distinction there is that if you stop puberty blockers and let your natural puberty take over, that's a natural yeah. process that usually ends with an adult with like reasonably strong bones. If you stop your... Uh, puberty and then have cross-sex hormones, you can see it's not the same thing. You're, you're, you, you don't, you know, those aren't the hormones that were supposed to be flooding your body and maybe they're dose wrong. Maybe you don't, I, there's different things that could go wrong uh, or different reasons to worry at least. So, so basically just to recoup. So there are indications that puberty blockers, even in the way that they were give, normally given for precocious puberty, um, do have some side effects that would preclude them being called reversible. And we have very limited data on what um, um, uh, puberty blockers, especially in conjunction with hormones, do to bone density and brain density. Uh, yeah, I think on the first point, and I, again, I need to look more into the data on this. On the first point, I think yeah. many many kids go on puberty blockers and then have their natural puberty and they're fine and, it, and that there, there were no permanent yeah. effects. But yes, when I say you can't call them reversible because we don't know if we don't know that they don't cause permanent negative side effects or long-term side effects. And some people then retreat to the position. We're just saying they're reversible in that if you stop them, puberty takes over. I don't think anyone ever claimed otherwise. I don't think so. I just, uh, po po yeah. Okay. Anyway. And then, um, the last final point is, I think in every cohort that has been studied, like more than 90% of kids who go on puberty blockers go on to yeah. go on hormones. Yeah. And the last, so we're not even, so we're not sure if they have negative effects even by themselves. That's what I mean. Even without the yeah. They, they definitely can have negative side effects themselves even without the hormones. Yeah. Although, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. That was a very long series of questions. Of course, thank you. Very much. Thank you. They're tough questions. I, I need to look more into like the medical data on blockers to be sure. Tyler, what's up? Hey. hey Jesse. Um so I was listening to a recording of uh your episode last week and um well, actually there's two things here but uh just to go back to what I was talking about. So you were asking like why do trans right activists really loathe turfs but just can't seem to muster much of a damn to give about conservatives or, you know, other political factions that pose way more pressing danger, right? Yeah, although I, I think I'm curious what you have to say. I think I sort of know the answer to that, but continue. Uh, oh, okay. But, like, 
basically, what does a zealot, does somebody who is very doctrinally inclined hate more than their perpetual enemy? They hate converts of sort. The, the apostate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's oh, a good that's point. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, it's a per- point worth lingering on because it's caused a lot of corrosion and meltdowns in liberal spaces where people spend far more time and energy like patrolling their own camp to make sure there's no non-believers and then punishing them severely. I mean, social punishments or professional punishments. Um, I, I mean, I would consider threats of like rape and or murder slightly more than social, but right, yeah, point right. taken. Um, but... On this issue, I just I, – I don't know. The idea that of all the legitimate threats trans people face, you're, it's Kathleen Stock, the, the 1% of professors who have gender-critical views who will say so out loud, that's who you're worried about. It, it just seems much more like people like the idea of causing a ruckus on campus and making life difficult for one of their professors. It's fun. I mean, well, one, friendly fire isn't. Um, but two, it's – you can like spend your energy more effectively, like focusing on higher priority targets. No, I know. I mean, I'm not endorsing their view. I just think that explains it from their point of view. Plus, you know, if you're on Twitter and you're annoyed at the turfs on Twitter, you actually have some power to try to get them removed from Twitter. You have no real power to get right wing state legislators, or might not feel that you do, to get right wing state legislators to act differently. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't even consider the fact that, like, they can actually legitimately flex upon their given target and cause an effect. And I don't know if it's an ego boost thing or whatever, but, yeah, no, that's yeah. a good observation. Thank you. Oh, my other point, uh, sure. the other thing. Hey, I, I uh, got back with you on the Quiplash stuff, so... Oh yeah, email. we gotta do. I, let's. What, I, I know say, you've been busy, man. We gotta shoot for January, but we'll make it happen because I think we could raise a little money for some some good cause. And we should do it. Yes, I very much look forward to it. Cool. Anyway, thanks for your time, Jesse. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, I. So on the the circular firing squad thing, I just think it's like, what's more satisfying? Um, get Tyler out of here. Remove from Q. Yeah, sorry. Oh good. Uh, like, what's more satisfying? screaming into the void, trying to get Greg Abbott to be a more decent human, which he's not going to be because he has his own incentives. And to him, you're just another libtard versus you could, you could launch a petition that will could really get your local professor who doesn't get it in trouble or someone in your organization into trouble. Uh, we were at uh we had like a little after gathering after the show last night at a bar and there were multiple journalists who had been like ousted from their organizations for the most bullshit reasons. People, people like power and people like being cruel to other people. And I think a lot of the time there's this tendency to sort of see someone being cruel to someone else under the guise of social justice and assume they're doing so for uh, virtuous reasons. But I don't know. There's like a way in which base human bad stuff can mix up with social justice. I don't know. As I say that, it's like my sense is like small town church life is just as dysfunctional. Like small town church folk will like rat one another out for doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thing. 
the whole anti anti Trump movement and conservatives is the same thing of just like making sure people who don't dislike Trump are just completely purged from conservative spaces. So maybe the strategy here is basically to I don't know. People act like there isn't such a thing as human nature. Like there's just liberal nature, which is reasonable and good and fine, and conservative nature, which is deranged. The fact of the matter is like there's similar patterns in human nature everywhere. We're like similarly groupy. We're similarly susceptible to witch hunts and rumor mongering. Um, I just, I don't know. I guess if my work could do anything, I would like people to realize that there is such a thing as human nature and that that's what it explains, explains things, not like one side being better than the other or more moral than the other. And um, I don't know. John Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, is really good on that because it just sort of shows how relatively small differences in how we weigh different uh, moral concerns can lead to like big differences and you know questions like gay marriage and stuff like that. Um, and then Dan Kahan at Yale is another good voice to check out on this stuff. He writes about how if a uh, belief such as abortion or climate change becomes politicized, people sort of stop listening to reason on it. Uh, so abortion is a really good example where like before the Catholic church sort of took it up as a cause, I just, I don't think it was considered to be that politicized. And then even, I don't know if it was evangelicals or Catholic church. I don't know the history here, but obviously evangelicals and Catholic church are both and firmly anti-abortion. So that it becomes a case that if you're an evangelical and want to continue to hang out with your evangelical buddies and go to your evangelical church, you sort of have to say you're against abortion. There's no process at which you like sit down with the data or sit down with the best bioethicist books and, and work it out for yourself. But so many of us pretend that we're not like that, that like when we come to a conclusion, it's for good and virtuous reasons. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that everyone should realize there is a potential to be a dick inside them. I almost said there's a dick in all of us, but uh, it's been a long couple of days. But yeah, everyone can be a jerk. Everyone can be groupish and group thinking and cruel and policing themselves. But you should just like consider whether or not what you're doing, you're doing to accomplish uh, some external goal or whether you're doing it just to raise your social standing of the group. That's what you know. Freddie DeBoer calls the iron law of institutions on the left. And it's a, um, it's a very real thing. Uh, okay, this was another one where I there was a slightly smaller crowd and I didn't give as much notice as I should before the room, but I thought the questions were really good and I appreciate you guys coming with them. As always, I would just ask uh, if you like what I'm doing here, spread the word about the show, tell other people about it, and uh, yeah, I hope one or two of you will be there in uh, D.C. And uh, thank you guys so much for supporting my work. Thanks again. Bye.